Another edition of the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPielli.com, by St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey, by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck, located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. As always, a handful of stuff we're going to get into today in a world of baseball, sports, and unified America. I'm going to put a poll out and um, wonder what your thoughts are. You think of the big, biggest miracle to happen. Now, you could define it in a bunch of different ways. We could talk about the miracle on ice in 1980, the thought that the United States hockey team had any chance against the Soviet Union, that may have been one of the biggest upsets of all time. I've mentioned many times on the show talking about the 1914 World Series with the Boston Braves beating Connie Mack and the mighty Philadelphia Athletics with the $100,000 infield as being the biggest upset in the history of sports. You could think of the Jets' Victory in Super Bowl three with Joe Namath guaranteeing it over to Colts and Don Shula. But I'm thinking a moment, shock, one thing happening so quickly at the end to change the result of the game. And I think of four major moments. I think of the shot heard around the world in 1951, Bobby Thompson's home run off of Ralph Branca. I think of the California Stanford game where, you know, the kick is returned for a touchdown with the band on the field. Just a a just stunning moment. I think of the Music City miracle with Frank Wycheck throwing the ball all the way across the field to Kevin Dyson, and he returns it for a touchdown in a game that looked like it was already over. And then finally, I got the NC State-Virginia game, 1983, Jim Valvano, um, the – the long shot, you know, uh, for to try to hit it at the end. And oh, there's Lorenzo Charles to put it in for the winner. I think those are four of the biggest shocks in the history of sports. I'm curious to see what you think. I'm going to start out today talking a little baseball. And you hear about Trevor Bauer. Um, he's kind of trolling people a little bit. He's interested in getting all the different fans take. Hey, would you like – if I came to pitch for you, there's a thought of you know, plenty of different possibilities for Trevor Bauer, not just with teams that he could go to, but types of deals that he may be willing to take. You know, the thought that maybe a $35 million contract for one year may be good enough for him to test free agency next year. Maybe a short-term deal, two years, and maybe a little more than $35 million could work in the right situation. And, you know, his agent is out there pretty much trying to stay in contact with every possible team about many different possibilities. And we, of course, always go to the ghost of Christmas past when we talk about free agency and sports. And we assume that the teams are going to sign players to similar contracts than they did before. The players that are the crop of this year's free agent market are going to be looking for the exact same thing as the players of last year and the year before. Now, I think we've established that Trevor Bauer is a little bit different when it comes to his thoughts, his opinions. And John Heyman, 
obviously one of the, if not the most notable news breaking baseball reporters out there. And especially around the time during free agency made a declaration that the Cincinnati Reds were out in regards to Trevor Bauer. Now he had a couple of good reasons. The Reds are looking to shed payroll. The Reds have made a couple moves this off season, including Archie Bradley being non-tendered, the trade of Raziel Iglesias to the Angels in what was a kind of a team-friendly contract, the posturing and the possibility that Sonny Gray may very well be traded. Now, I think you could put all that together and maybe come to the conclusion that Trevor Bauer signing a huge contract with the Cincinnati Reds is probably not going to happen. And I think that's what John Heyman did. And and John, who, you know, I have moments where I respect what he does. And I have other moments where I don't understand where his perspective is. Now, he may ask the Reds, point blank, are you going to sign Trevor Bauer? And their answer may be no. And that may be the source of his information. If that's the case, he's reporting what he hears. And there's nothing wrong with that. Trevor Bauer says, I never said I wasn't going to sign with the Reds. I never made that declaration. Now, obviously, it takes two to tangle. You need a team to be willing to offer a contract of any sort for the possibility of a free agent to sign with that team. So from that perspective, I don't think John Heyman did anything wrong. Now, Trevor Bauer's point is one that I've thought about many times, though. The baseball writers... And they have their contacts, they have their, you know, different people that they could trust and they get information from. They speak to agents, they speak to teams. They're very well connected in the game. Is that the absolute authority when it comes to the information that's out there? I mean, I'd rather hear it from the player himself. And if Trevor Bauer believes that, hey, there's not a 100% possibility that he's not going to sign with any team, then I want to take him at his word. And I wish more players would speak up about it, not to put, you know, the John Heymans of the world to shame because he has a job to do. He's going to collect the information he's got. And if the Reds say, listen, you know, we're looking to slash payroll even more. I don't think we can afford to bring in a player on a big-time contract, let alone bring back Trevor Bauer. Maybe the Reds and Nick Crawl have gotten to a point where they believe that it's over. Trevor Bauer did a great job there, won the Cy Young last year, took the team into the playoffs, had a great performance in his playoff start, and maybe it's just over. And maybe the Reds are okay with that. Maybe they're okay with what they gave up in the, in the trade that they made and can accept it as they move on. But once again, yeah, Trevor Bauer, I know he wants to make it kind of like LeBron James in a decision and, you know, you know, as much media coverage as he can about where he's going to end up going. I, in the end, I don't know. I mean, I made the declaration on my show last week that I felt pretty strong that the Angels were the best fit for him. Does that mean that that's what Trevor Bauer wants to do? Does that mean that the Angels are in the end going to offer Trevor Bauer the most lucrative contract? No. And once again, we're dealing with a different character here, a person, a player that is not necessarily looking for either the most years or the most fully guaranteed money. 
In other words, he's not looking for the contract that ends in the biggest dollar amount. 200 whatever million opposed to something else he may take a lesser deal maybe not per year on the average annual value basis but it is a little different because i think you go back to the you jump in a delorean crank it up to 88 miles an hour and go back to just about any year of free agency particularly when you're talking about top starting pitchers they tend to go with to the team that offers the most years and the most money I think Trevor Bauer could settle for less, which is why it's this is, this is an interesting. That's why I think there's going to be more suitors than we allow to be. But the only thing that I would say against Trevor Bauer shooting down John Heyman's report that the Reds are out, did the Reds tell John Heyman that they're out? Because Trevor Bauer has no chance of signing with the Reds if the Reds don't make him a contract offer. This copyright and broadcast is authorized under internet rights granted by the World Wide Web and is solely for entertainment of our audience. Any publication, reproduction, or other use of the pictures, descriptions, and accounts of this show without the express written consent of the Passball Show, JohnPielli.com, and JohnPielli LLC is prohibited. Any commercial or other use of the program, such as by charge and admission for its showing, is similarly prohibited. So I'm going to bounce over to basketball a little bit, and you're you're feeling the uh, the level of heat retching up a little bit in regards to the possibility and probability now that James Harden will be traded before opening day in the National Basketball Association, which we know is starts the day before Christmas Eve, December the 23rd. And in most years, the NBA season would have started already. So the Rockets, who were trying, they signed DeMarcus Cousins. They made the trade of Russell Westbrook to get themselves John Wall. They, they made some moves to better assemble a team that could compete with James Harden as their leader. James Harden has made it known he wants to go to the East Coast. He wants to play in Brooklyn. He wants to play in Philadelphia. He, he's looking to get out of Houston, and he think, just thinks it's time. Now the Rockets were hoping that they could convince him to stay with the couple moves that they made. But apparently John Wall and DeMarcus Cousins – that's not enough to get this going. Now, if you if you stay within the, uh, the the limited umbrella of what James Harden's looking to do, he wants to get traded to Brooklyn. He wants to get traded to Philadelphia. Looking at those two as the prime targets, each of those teams has a star that could very well measure up in going back to Houston. Now, if you think of the Brooklyn Nets for a second. Kevin Durant's back on the court. He's likely to be ready and in the lineup playing opening day after missing, you know, last season. Him and Kyrie Irving haven't played a game together yet. If you're the Houston Rockets, you don't like the thought of making a deal with the Brooklyn Nets because, well, why do you want to get a bunch of fringe players that add up their salaries, add up to what James Harden makes? You can get some draft picks, which would be great, but those draft picks aren't going to be good until the next year's draft at the very least. So you understand that your season probably not going to look too promising if you make a deal with the Brooklyn Nets unless the Nets decide to trade Kyrie Irving. And Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, you know, that was the whole reason they got together to go to, to, go to Brooklyn. That's where they want to play. They want to be teammates. 
Well, like I said, a whole season's gone by and they haven't been teammates yet. Right when it's about to happen, would the Brooklyn Nets have the nerve, the balls, the gall to trade Kyrie Irving to the Houston Rockets to get James Harden? You know, Durant and Harden have a connection. They both played in OKC together. James Harden was a six-man. Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook were the stars of that team. A combination of Durant and Harden, I think, would be uh, lethal, would be very solid in Eastern Conference, and I'd look at the Nets as more of a favorite as I do right now. The question is, could the two of them coexist with Kyrie Irving? Let's say there was a third team that was put in there because the Rockets don't like the thought of getting a bunch of extra players from the Nets. They don't want to get a bunch of players that aren't going to be stars and aren't going to have a huge impact because the Houston Rockets themselves want to compete this year. So you put a third team in there and you name whatever star goes from that third team to Houston. That team that trades that star ends up getting, you know, the the draft picks with the players that are matching up in, in contracts. You, know, you think of, uh, you know, maybe a Chicago, maybe Atlanta, I'm trying to think of some other teams that are kind of rebuilding right now. Maybe they'd like to draft capital and find something that works out a little bit better for the Houston Rockets than the group of players that the Brooklyn Nets would be willing to offer. So that would lead Durant, Irving, Harden, all sharing the same floor. Now, I think two of them could exist together. I have a hard time believing that the three of them will be able to share shots, share floor space, and I'm not 100% sure that there is a defined leader out of the three of them. Now, you could say Kevin Durant. You could say during the time in Golden State when Steph Curry and Clay Thompson were there, they kind of looked up to Durant as the leader. Even though Durant came after those guys, he was kind of the leader on the floor, the player that you thought of building up your play if you have one shot to win a game at the end around whether he's taking a shot or he's passing off the shot to somebody else it's up to him I guess Durant would be that leader now Durant and Kyrie based off of their I don't know their love affair that they have as far as wanting to play together could that work maybe and like I said something we haven't seen yet but the other possibility is Durant and Harden which they have worked together. I mean, I don't know if they it's 100% the same situation with the Brooklyn Nets as it was when they were together at OKC. But, you know, at least they have a rapport with each other. I just think of the three of them. And remember, two's company, three's a crowd. And I don't think the third player, whether it turns out to be Irving, which I think it has to be, you say the, you know, you're, you're naming the players. You're saying Durant's your number one. James Harden goes there, and it's hard to say that James Harden's the number three. I think it would have to be Kyrie Irving, and the question's going to be Kyrie Irving, who has had questionable relationships with teammates and organizations that he's played for prior in Cleveland, in Boston. Are you 100% sure that Kyrie Irving is going to be able to not cause a distraction and contribute and be part of the team? That's a great nucleus. It's a, a great, you know, vision to have with Durant and with Harden and with Irving together. 
I don't know if it could work. So I would think if there was any trade made between the Brooklyn Nets and the Houston Rockets, I would think Kyrie would be heading to Houston in exchange for James Harden. And it might be the best thing because everybody would end up winning. I know the Nets signed Kyrie Irving to work with Kevin Durant, and then you're risking all of a sudden Kevin Durant getting pissed off, saying, hey, I came from the Golden State Warriors as a free agent and decided to sign this contract with the Brooklyn Nets because Kyrie Irving was going to be here with me. And now, after I missed a full season, which was expected, which was known to happen, all of a sudden, Durant's getting ready to play, couple days before the season starts and that big teammate Kyrie Irving the, the player that he decided he wanted to go 3,000 miles across the country to play in Brooklyn with the Nets to be teammates with is no longer there so I do think not just Irving who you wonder if he'd be happy in Houston you got to worry about Durant who all of a sudden is not going to be playing with the teammate that he decided to make his free agent decision based off of. And then you wonder between Durant and Harden, if that's something, excuse me, that could work out with each other. I mean, I don't personally know Durant and Harden's relationship. It seems like they get along. Seemed like they got along when they played in OKC. You know, they weren't, you know, they competed against each other. When Harden was in Houston and and Durant was in Golden State, but I think you look at this and you number one you want to make a deal to be a deal and a fair deal. Houston Rockets are looking to get something legitimate in return. They're not looking to get a you know a a, a twelve pack of NBA basketballs. Now they're looking to get an impact type of player to replace Harden, and Irving would be that type of player. And you know if there's a trade between the Rockets and the Philadelphia 76ers, it makes a lot of sense for a lot of different reasons. Daryl Morey just goes over. Uh, he was the general manager for the Houston Rockets. He is not a general manager for the Philadelphia 76ers. I would expect and think and believe that Morey likes James Harden. So why would he not want to have James Harden on his team? Now, if you're the 76ers, you think of Joel Embiid. You think of Ben Simmons. And the, you think similarly, if Harden were to be added there with the two of those other stars there, could it work similarly to the way you were thinking about Harden being teammates with Durant and Kyrie Irving with the Nets? And I don't think Philadelphia has, from a draft pick standpoint, from a roster depth standpoint, the ability to make a reasonable trade without involving a third team. That doesn't involve a Ben Simmons. And I think Daryl Morey has to think about this. I think if you're a Philadelphia 76ers fan, you got to think about this. Would you be willing to part with Ben Simmons to get James Harden? Because I think from a scoring standpoint, you're going to get somebody that's going, you know, Harden's going to outscore Simmons. Does it mean that Ben Simmons is not a good player? Of course, he's a very important player. He's been for a while for the Philadelphia 76ers. And I'm not 100% sure that that would be a great trade for Philadelphia. Like I said, Harden's going to score more points. Maybe Harden and Embiid are able to put things together, and all of a sudden, 
you know, you combine them with some of the other players that they have there, and the 76ers rise towards the top in the Eastern Conference. Harden in the East makes probably whatever team he ends up playing for the favorite. Now, the other, the other aspect that's going to be spoken about now is the desire now for the Houston Rockets to make a trade involving James Harden before the start of the season because things are starting to sink a little bit. Harden hasn't backed down on his trade request. He doesn't seem happy there. And the Houston Rockets, as they're getting ready to start the season, have come to the conclusion that most teams come to when they realize they have a star and they don't believe that his heart's in it. They know it's in everybody's best interest to move on. The Rockets, who may not want to trade James Harden, probably feel more obligated to at this point. But they're a smart organization, just like most teams in professional sports, want to make sure that they make a deal that's best for them, too. And that's why this thought where they were going to, they were going to accommodate James Harden and trade him to a place where he wanted to go to, I think is out the window now. And I think there's a possibility that he could go to Miami. I think there's a possibility that you can see a couple other fits in the East Coast, in the Eastern Conference, where the Rockets could trade James Harden. And it's interesting, it will be interesting to see how it ends up turning out. This is the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPielli.com, by St. Alwish's Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey, by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck, located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. I'm going to do a little uh, free agent fun. We talked about five free agents in the last show, gave them new homes. And I'll give you a little recap, you know, just to allow you to follow through what I'm doing right now. Trevor Bauer to the Angels, JT Realmuto to the Nationals, George Springer to the Mets, DJ, J, excuse me, DJ LeMahieu to the Yankees, Marzell Ozuna to the Toronto Blue Jays. So those are my picks to this point. We're going to move on. And I'm going to start with a little bit of a surprise here, which obviously will be contingent on something else happening. And I think of the free agent status of Marcus Simeon with the athletics. Didn't have a great year last year. Was very good in 2019. Was right up there in the discussion for the MVP in the American League. The athletics are not in a position where from a financial standpoint, they have the ability to bring him back. It's just not going to happen. You know, they may be looking at a Tommy LaStella or, you know, a possibility of uh, a player that could do something similar to what Simeon has done and may have, you know, cost a lot less. So I'm thinking of another team that's thinking the same way, the Cleveland Indians. Cleveland Indians are in a tough spot because it's pretty much a foregone conclusion that Francisco Lindor is going to be moved this offseason. It's the best opportunity for the, for the Indians. It's the best opportunity for a team to get something back for them and obviously to get a large amount of value. Right now, I can't predict how the trade would work out with Lindor. If you think of the Mookie Betts deal with the Dodgers and the Red Sox last year, you had a good young prospect in Jeter Downs kind of ranked towards the top of the Dodgers system. You had Alex Verdugo, who was a top prospect and is a young, controllable core type of player. And that ended up getting the job done. 
the Dodgers went out and made that deal look in their favor when they signed Mookie Betts to a almost record-setting contract. That same thing could be expected with Francisco Lindor. Let's say there's a similar package and he ends up getting dealt to wherever he goes to. And then that team says, you know what, Francisco Lindor is going to, at least from a contract standpoint, we're going to make the case that he's going to spend the rest of his career in our city. That's possible. But I think the Indians have to look beyond Francisco Lindor and not necessarily what they're going to get back in the package. In other words, if they're trading Francisco Lindor to whatever team, their goal shouldn't have to be to get a shortstop back. And that's why I think the Indians and Marcus Marcus Simeon make a little sense. Um, you could sign them to a, I don't know, two, three-year deal. Nowhere near in the same category as Francisco Lindor is going to get paid. A Lindor trade saves you the money of paying Lindor whatever he was going to be owed in salary arbitration. And I think the Indians are able to address, if they want, some other needs in a trade for Lindor. So I got Marcus Simeon, surprise, to the Cleveland Indians. Liam Hendricks, um, probably the top relief pitcher in this market, the probably the best closer available, though his experience has not been many years as a closer. And I remember what the Dodgers did last year with Blake Trinan. He had a down year. They brought him in, and he pitched great for the Dodgers. Liam Hendricks backed up his 2019 season with as good of a 2020 season, albeit an abbreviated time frame. I think the Dodgers go four years, and they bring themselves in Liam Hendricks kind of to replace Blake Trinan in that role. So you got him, you got Joe Kelly, you got Brustar Gratterall, you got Kenley Jansen. It's a solid bullpen if I'm the Dodgers. So I got Liam Hendricks to the Dodgers. Nelson Cruz. Now, if you think of the National League and the possibility of a designated hitter, the fact that we don't know yet, I think every day that goes by that you don't hear a definitive decision, I start to believe that the National League is not going to go to the designated hitter now. Talk was earlier that the declaration that was made from Major League Baseball to tell the National League teams to operate as if there is going to be no DH in the National League in 2021 was a negotiation ploy. Probably. Remember, the Players Association and Major League Baseball are trying to you know, discuss their next collective bargaining agreement. Everything pretty much is on the table. But if you're a National League team, would you have the balls, the gall, the uh, you know intestinal fortitude to sign Nelson Cruz as your DH without a legitimate backup plan if he if all of a sudden you don't have a DH? You're going to put him in right field. You're going to be able to give him enough at-bats there over the course of a potential 162-game season probably likely less than 162. But the thought is, hey, if you're a National League team, you sign him as a DH, you got some balls. I don't think that's going to happen. And I think the best fit for Nelson Cruz will be to go back to where he played for this past year with the Minnesota Twins. Listen, this guy very quietly puts up 40 home runs every year, very quietly is making a legitimate Hall of Fame case, And I know we got busted for PEDs, but we're going to get to a point where I'm confident that we're going to get through this whole steroids era. 
all of a sudden you're going to see names like Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens and Rafael Palmero and Manny Ramirez and Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire and anybody else you can name that you may want to link to the use of performance enhancing drugs, get their call into the baseball hall of fame. And this will happen well before Nelson Cruz retires and also well before five years has gone by where Nelson Cruz is eligible for the baseball hall of fame. I think the Minnesota twins are a perfect spot. You mix them there with a Josh Donaldson. Um, they saved a little money by non-tendering Eddie Rosario. I think they're going to make a couple moves in regards to pitching. I think they're the team to beat in the American League Central. And I think Nelson Cruz is a perfect fit. So I got him going back to the Minnesota Twins. Masahiro Tanaka. Now you've heard the possibility that the Yankees are not going to sign both DJ LeMahieu and Masahiro Tanaka. And I'm going to take them at their word. This is a weird offseason for the Yankees. The Yankees have always been in a position where, whether they are aggressive or not, you always consider them in the mix to get the best players at the positions that they have the most need for. The Yankees got to add two starting pitchers, whether it's bringing back Tanaka and another pitcher or bringing in two distinct pitchers altogether. They need to add two starting pitchers to a staff that has a lot of uncertainty outside of Garrett Cole. Maybe the Yankees believe that it's time for Tanaka to go. I got a very good fit for Masahiro Tanaka, and it's not back home in Japan. I can see the Houston Astros getting in on a two-year deal. A rotation in Houston looks, looks a little different. Zach Greinke is there. You know, they got Framber Valdez, who looked great and emerged himself. Lance McCullers Jr., and of course, Justin Verlander recovering from Tommy John surgery. I think Tanaka would be a very good fit there in Houston. And I don't have any links to it. I don't have any discussion between the two teams. I don't have any inside information. But I'm going Masahiro Tanaka, Houston Astros. And the last team, last player that I'm going to talk about today is Justin Turner. You can make a very good case that Justin Turner will be a very good fit to return to the Los Angeles Dodgers. He won a World Series there. He resurrected his career there. The last five or six years, he's performed as good as anybody at the third base position in Major League Baseball. Now you want to say, hey, there's a little bad omen with him being on the field without a mask, celebrating a World Series championship with the Dodgers after he tested positive for the coronavirus. That's a different story. I think his connection to the Dodgers are big, and I think they will be in it to match any offer that's, that's given. I think they get outbid, though. And similar to the other show that I did where I talked about Marzell Ozuna and the Blue Jays feeling kind of a little bit of a sense of urgency to go out there and make that move, make that definitive move. They want to add a power bat. They're going to go out there and get a guy like Marzell Ozuna. They're going to overpay for Marzell Ozuna. I think they'll do the same thing for Justin Turner. I think the thought of Vlad Guerrero Jr. wanting to play third base, you know the Blue Jays want him over at first. They feel it's best for him. You go out there and you get yourself a proven third baseman. And Justin Turner, both as an offensive player and a defensive player, has done an outstanding job for the Dodgers over the last several years. You bring a little World Series championship pedigree, 
you know, reunite him with his former teammate, Hun Jin Ryu. And all of a sudden, the Toronto Blue Jays have the start to a very good offseason. I think the Blue Jays are going to be in it to the end for George Springer. I think in the end, the Mets just end up offering more money. But I think the Blue Jays have a plan, and a good fallback option is for them to sign both Marzell Ozuna and Justin Turner. So today, we got Marcus Simeon going to Cleveland. We got Liam Hendricks going to the Dodgers. We got Nelson Cruz remaining in Minnesota with the Twins. We have Masahiro Tanaka joining the Houston Astros and Justin Turner going to the Toronto Blue Jays. A little bit of a recap of the show today. And as always, I want to thank everybody for tuning in to the Pass Ball Show. We're throwing some scenarios. Best, most miracle moment that happened. Not game. You know, if it's game, it's the miracle on ice in 1980. And I think that would win resoundingly. But how about the biggest shock to a finish of a game? That we've ever seen. Shot her around the world. Bobby Thompson, home run off of Ralph Branca, 1951 uh, playoffs, or whatever they want to call it. The Dodgers and Giants finished with a tie in a regular season. It was what they'd call game number, what, 157. Cal Stanford, ban on the field. I mean, how do, how do, how do, you, how do you beat that in regards to a showstopper moment? I mean, the band's coming on the field to celebrate a victory. And wait, there's a guy running for a touchdown, knocking over the trombone player. NC State, Virginia. Final four, 1983. Jim Valvano, the head coach. Lorenzo Charles catching that ball right in front of the net, putting it in for the winner. Then you got the Music City Miracle. Tennessee Titans. Looking for a miracle play. Frank Wycheck throws the ball across the field. Kevin Dyson runs it in the end zone for a touchdown. I think in regards to free agency in baseball, you're going to look at Trevor Bauer as kind of a unique situation. I don't think there's any way you could go back and say his free agency period here is going to be just like anybody else. John Heyman made a declaration that the Cincinnati Reds are not in, interested, not in the mix for Trevor Bauer. Trevor Bauer says, how do you know? You know, my agent didn't tell me that. Where do you come up with this info? Nelson, John Heyman could have heard it right from the horse's mouth. He could have called Nick Crawl up and Nick Crawl could have said, we don't have the money for Trevor Bauer. But I think Trevor Bauer is not going to follow any sort of free agent protocol. He's not going to go to the highest bidder. He's not going to go necessarily to the team that offers the most years and the most money. He could go to a shorter-term deal. I think he, wherever he ends up, it's going to be a place where he feels comfortable and where he wants to be. And also, that team that's taking him on is going to have to take Trevor Bauer for who he is. You know, do they accept Trevor Bauer for being a little bit different? I mean, you think of the Yankees, and obviously we mentioned a little bit earlier about for you know the weird scenario where the Yankees are having some financial difficulties, you know, could he be an ultimate Yankee? You know, would he be too much of a rebel to put on the Yankee pinstripes? I don't know. The Angels seem like the best fit for him. They seem to be willing to spend money this offseason. I put my chips in the table if I was a betting man on Trevor Bauer going to the Angels. But I think there's going to be a lot more teams in it, a lot more teams than just the ones that are willing to offer the longest contract for the most amount of money.
I think shorter term deals are possible. Maybe even a one year deal. I don't know. I don't know how this man thinks, but I know that he is unique enough to not want to be labeled. And I kind of think of myself the same way in a, you know, the small, narrow scheme of what it is that I do. I don't want to be predictable. I don't want to be put in a group where people say, hey, he's going to be just like that. I'm me. I'm my own individual. Same thing you could say about Trevor Bauer. That's why I kind of root for the dude. Looks like between now and Christmas, now and the 23rd of December, which is the start of the National Basketball Association season for this year, James Harden may no longer be wearing the Houston Rockets uniform. He wants to go to Philadelphia. He wants to go to Brooklyn with the Nets. The Rockets have opened up their mind and are willing to trade him somewhere else if they could work out a better deal. I think it's up for the Rockets because they want to compete this year to get themselves another star-type player in return. That's why Kyrie Irving, that's why Ben Simmons, players like that are kind of, or and kind of should be on the Rockets' radar. Could it work out? If Harden was with the Nets, with Durant, and with Irving, of course, you have a whole drama situation there of Kevin Durant agreeing to fly 3,000 miles to play his home games in New York and Brooklyn just so he could be teammates with Kyrie Irving. Now, after Durant missed last year, right on the cusp of this about to happen, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving playing in the same game where it counts, could Kyrie Irving be on the move? couple more free agent projections. We'll post them up on johnpielli.com. This is the Past Ball Show brought to you by johnpielli.com. By St. Alwish's Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey. By Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck. Located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Always happy to be with you. Um, I think Wednesday will be our next show. Talk about everything going on in the world of baseball, sports, and unifying America. God bless you. And as always, I'll see you on the other side.